Good morning. If you're new or we have not met, my name is Ryan Doucette. I'm the youth pastor for 26 West Church. And for Advent this year, we've been exploring the theme unexpected and how we see the unexpected in the Advent story, the arrival of Jesus. But before we dive in, if you're able, would you stand with me, please? I would like to invite you to pray this morning. And this may be new for you, but um, prayer is a primary way that we develop a relationship with God. And it's one of the most important things that we can learn to do as followers of Jesus. And so I would like to invite you to pray. Instead of me praying, because my words are, are no greater than yours, In fact, it may actually be more impactful for you to pray this morning. And so I'd like to give you just a moment in the quiet and in the stillness, and I'd encourage you to pray and to ask our Heavenly Father to speak. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. If you are hungry this morning, longing to hear from God, you can simply pray, God, please speak to me this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are still speaking even today. And so would you speak again into our lives, for we are listening. Amen. You can grab a seat. Hey, allow me just a moment to share uh, just a family update. Uh, Thank you for those of you that are aware and have been praying for me. Uh, My grandfather passed away on on Friday afternoon, and... uh, I was able, because of our team and and so many of you, I was able to get down on Wednesday and be with him and with my my mom and support her. And uh, just so thankful for your prayers. I just, I felt a ton of support from our youth family and from our our team here. And uh, and, and my mom and dad are watching this morning and I love you And, and this morning this, this teaching is, um, what's beautiful is it really, my, my grandfather lived this out, and so I'm excited to, to share. <laughs> Over the last four years, homelessness is one of a few key issues that has risen to the top of public consciousness. It's caused debates, divisiveness, frustration, and here in Portland, there, there's no shortage of opinions of what to do with the rise of the homeless population. But perhaps we need to ask ourselves, what can we do? There are court orders and appeals, committees and counties, and endless letters to the editor. And this issue will remain at the forefront as we head into an election year, and that's already proven to be the case. as as has been seen in recent debates. And while the West Coast is uh, outpacing the rest of the nation, there isn't a single state 
that's not experienced homelessness to some degree. But it's helpful to remember that even the scriptures tell us there will always be poor people in the land. So how will we respond as the people of God? Jesus affirms this himself, saying, the poor you will always have with you. In fact, Jesus was himself poor. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, the Savior of the world, was homeless. In fact, this was something he radically chose to do himself. And while it might seem unexpected, it shouldn't when we consider how he arrived. Many who were longing for the advent, the arrival of Messiah, were caught off guard at the unexpected way that Jesus came into our world. Advent today, with our beautiful decorations, the white drapes, the lights, the candles, the perfectly put together manger scene, it can be misleading. The manger was dirty. I love the way John Piper puts it. He has an article on Advent entitled The Meaning of the Manger. You can, you can look up this article. It's beautiful. He, he loves Advent. He says there's, you'll never run out of things to say about the arrival of Jesus. But he goes on to say this. He says, there's no way to romanticize the manger into anything other than a feeding trough for slobbering animals. The first bed for the Son of God was not a royal cradle. It was a common corn crib meant to hold scraps to be eaten. You can't romanticize that. Piper provides even greater insight, pointing out that the manger was also planned. This was planned by God. It's not as if luck would have it that on the very night of the birth, the inn just happened to be full. He's the God of the universe. He created everything. But rather, what Scripture makes clear is that God had planned all along what this Advent, what the arrival of Jesus would look like. In the Advent story, God sent messengers, angels, to inform certain individuals about the coming of Jesus. How, where, when, and why. One of those occasions is the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. The angel Gabriel explains that she will bear a son, Jesus, and quote, he will be the Lord God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this despite the fact that she is a virgin. And so the angel Gabriel also informs her of a sign to confirm this, saying, quote, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. This morning, what I want to do is look at a few key moments in the gospel of Luke to see how the unexpected arrival of Jesus to the poor and as poor himself, was not so unexpected in the eyes of God. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 39 to 56 to start. 
I'll give you just a moment to get there. It's good. Let's read it together. It will not be on the screen. I will just have the reference there, but find it in your app. Pull it up. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Chapter 1, Luke's Gospel, starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. And so Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. We just sang that. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. She's remembering that Psalm 107, verse 9 I quoted to you earlier. But has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You know, one-third of the entire Bible is poetry which includes this, this hymn of Mary's that she's just sung, the Magnificat, a name that reflects the Latin wording of the hymn's beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord. And often some of the richest theology of scripture is found in its poetry. And Mary's hymn is no exception. The, the theme of Mary's hymn reflects a theme that's seen throughout all of the scriptures, the great reversal the humble will be exalted, and the exalted will be humbled. Now, intertwined in this theme and this idea of the great reversal are the poor and the rich. The scriptures consistently teach that God has great concern for the humble, and not just those who show humility, but for those in humble circumstances, the poor, the lowly, the orphan, the widow, the oppressed. And this is why Mary rejoices in her song. In verse 48, she proclaims that God has chosen her, that God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Literally, that word means the poor state of his servant. Look, Mary is no queen in a palace. She's a peasant, pledged to be married to a lowly carpenter. 
But Mary knows the God of the Old Testament. She knows what the scriptures say about God's character, and her song is filled with imagery that is not new to the scriptures. She is quoting imagery that comes from the Old Testament. I want to give you just a, a real short survey of some, of some things that she would have been recollecting and, and would have been recalling in the song. The Psalms and the Proverbs, that they are filled with numerous references to the poor and warnings to those who fail to help them. Psalm 12, verse 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long. Psalm 113 verse 7 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors his maker. When God gives the law to the Israelites, as they're wandering through the desert, there are a number of ordinances that concern the poor. One of the strongest examples is found in Deuteronomy 15. It says this, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. You can see from just a small sample of Old Testament passages that God's concern for the poor really shouldn't be unexpected. But God arriving as poor was to so many. Now, it might be helpful to clarify here that the Bible isn't glorifying poverty. You're not more godly because you're poor. Now, I created some, some grids to help us. Thank you to my, my brother, Jose, that gave me this insight. I want to show you something. You can put up this slide. <laughs> this is so good. You can be poor and righteous in God's sight, and you can be poor and unrighteous. Or you can be rich and righteous or rich and unrighteous. So, so the Bible is not declaring here that, that it's okay, that we, we should sell everything and go and do this. But God sees. Likewise, you can go to this next slide. Poverty can be a result of making ungodly choices or godly choices. Poverty can strike when you've done everything right. And people are getting rich and doing everything wrong. The takeaway as it relates to our conversation is that across the scriptures, poverty doesn't disqualify from honoring and living for God. Mary is poor, and yet she honors God by saying, yes. Yes, I will obey. Yes, I will receive this promise. Yes, I will go to my sister Elizabeth to confirm what you have told me. Now, Mary's song is just an introduction to a key theme that Luke has in his gospel. A key theme that Luke wants us to see is that Jesus is on mission to reach the poor. And while a core aspect of God's character is concern for the poor, even those closest to Jesus, those who were greatly awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, they almost miss it. What prompts Mary to sing her Magnificent is the recognition of the baby in the womb 
by the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who is John the Baptist. Elizabeth will bear a son named John the Baptist who will pave the way for Jesus. And as Mary comes into the room, John the Baptist in the womb recognizes this is the Messiah and leaps for joy in her womb. It's incredible. Before he's even born, he recognizes the Messiah. And then as these boys grow into young men and John begins his ministry, and when Jesus comes to him, he once again recognizes him saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John the Baptist eventually gets in prison, and he begins doubting his former recognitions of the Messiah. I thought this was incredible. He hears what Jesus is doing, and he questions whether, quote, he is the one who is to come. Now, I want you to listen to Jesus' response how Jesus himself describes the confirmation that he will send back to John the Baptist saying that he is the Messiah. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke 7, verse 22. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is how Jesus proves that he is the one to come. Now, the hypothetical question that I believe is worth wrestling with is if Jesus were to arrive today, not his second arrival, his second advent, for we know that there will be no mistaking that, but were he to arrive for the first time at this point in our human history, where would he be? Where would he go? Who would he be around? Would you even recognize him? The mission of Jesus can't be mistaken, and it was foretold as a plan by God made clear from the prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, Luke's gospel captures the first moment where Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. As he enters the synagogue and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is like this epic uh, you know, ancient mic drop. He rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, sits down, and the eyes of the entire synagogue are fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The advent of Jesus was to the poor, to a poor family, as a poor person with a mission to reach the poor with good news. And for many, then, as now, this seems unexpected. Now, Jesus didn't ignore the rich. But a common struggle for the rich is their inability to be subject to anyone but themselves. Remember our grid? There are many who are rich today but are ungodly 
who have obtained their riches in ungodly means. The, the rich uh, in scripture are also depicted as proud, as the proud. And both Peter and James, who were close to Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus, both Peter and James, when they write their New Testament letters, they remind these newly formed Jesus communities of Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Now, why is this an issue? Why, why is it such a struggle? Uh, a New Testament scholar, Robert Gulick, said this. He says, the poor in Judaism referred to those in desperate need. So there's no mistaking. It's a socioeconomic element. They, they were poor. They needed money. They needed food to survive. So the poor in Judaism, it refers to those in desperate need whose helplessness drove them to a dependent relationship with God. There was also a spiritual need. And it drove them to this for the supplying of their needs and for vindication. You see, the poor respond much more readily to the outstretching hand of the Heavenly Father. And responding to the gospel changes the way people relate not only to God, but to their neighbors, increasing their concerns for those in need. Luke actually captures an incredible interaction between Jesus and a rich young ruler displaying this human struggle. If you want to turn there, it's in Luke 18. I'll read from verses 18 to 27. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The rich young ruler would have likely been viewed by the world around him as righteous because of his riches. But the questioning of Jesus reveals his heart. God doesn't look at outward appearances. However, we tend to struggle with this. We tend to see people who have more or who have done well and think that they must be living for God. Or we see a tent and we immediately cast judgment. But that's just too simplistic and not what we see in the scriptures. What Jesus demonstrates is that the poor are often the most open to God's leading because they are naturally aware of their dependence upon God. This morning, as we respond, 
I want you to catch that Luke's portrait of the poor is an important part of his gospel and his theology. Few things show the change the gospel brings more than than how people in a community view the poor. And this is an undeniable theme that can be traced all throughout the scriptures. What would be your response to our current homeless crisis as a follower of Jesus? In light of the beauty of Advent, our response ought to be both inward and outward. Or another way to think about this, I love this, it ought to be a vertical response and a horizontal response. And we need both. The inward response, the the vertical response between you and God prompts a question that that we need to wrestle with. Do I recognize this Jesus? Early in my faith journey, I read a book with some friends entitled Imaginary Jesus. It's a fictitious book that confronts a realistic issue. Which Jesus are we following? The legalistic Jesus? The perpetually angry Jesus? One of my favorites, the magic eight ball Jesus? When we are faced with the way Jesus is clearly on mission to the actual poor, not just the poor in spirit, but the the socioeconomic poor begging on the street, homeless, in need of food and care, do we recognize this Jesus as our Lord and Savior who saw them just as he sees us? Does it become more difficult to recognize Jesus And do you start to question this mission like John the Baptist did? This stuff really matters. I love the deep thinking of my, uh, my, my, uh, someone that I really look up to in prayer and theology, Pete Grigg. He says this, it's very deep. Your view of God changes everything about everything. (laughs) But when you just stop, and and, because it is kind of funny, it's like, it's so deep, Pete, thank you. But, but, but it does. It changes everything about everything, the way that we view and understand God. That is why we have the scriptures. We have to look deeply and understand who God is. Who is he telling us he was and what he's up to? A God who from the very beginning had deep concern for the poor, proclaimed to be their protector, established laws to restore them, sent a savior who spent a majority of his time with them as one of them. This should shape the kind of people that we are. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, our outward response has to wrestle with the question, what will I do about it? What can we do about it? When we talk about concern for the poor, it's easy to be intimidated by those who have had a greater impact, but we can't all be Mother Teresa. It's also easy to just throw up our hands and say the problem's too big or it's too dangerous. 
Or we can even simply get caught up in our own busy lives without any margin to join Jesus in this mission. Now, I want to share just, uh, this is real practical and relates to people that you're maybe even familiar with. I just wanted to give some examples of, of what this, what a response could look like. Because again, I, I, I get this, you know, this uh, message is, is for me too. What's my response? How am I going to be driven to be closer to Jesus's mission? I should, I should have regular interaction with the poor. It's not just a donation. And that is beautiful. We, we should do that. Uh, we have been blessed, and there are amazing opportunities to, to give and support, but I think we need to show up too. And so I just want to share uh, two local stories of two friends of this community and what they're doing, because I did, I, I'm so inspired by their radical uh, response to this call. The first is Tim Byrne. You can put up this first slide. Tim Byrne is a local evangelist. He literally just lives down the street. He has uh, been a friend of this community before we were even planted. Uh, he's a professional skateboarder. He goes all around the world preaching the gospel, doing tricks, even at the old age of mid-40s. Somehow he's still tumbling on a skateboard. In the name of Jesus, Jesus has kept him safe. But, you know, man, he had this uh, burning passion to, to do something about what we're talking about, to, to respond. How am I going to show up? And I, I, this week, I, I just texted Tim. Uh, he, uh, a few years ago, started this ministry with some other skaters. I will say the caveat here that I love is he is able to do this. He is going to the most dangerous. Uh, but he's going with other professional skaters, other recovered drug addicts, and he is going to the absolute worst in, in Southeast Portland along, along the Springwater Corridor. And he's going, and they're just bringing socks and food and stopping and praying. And so I texted Tim last night. I said, Tim, can, I, I'm, I'm going to share on this. I would love to hear from you. Like, what prompted this? And so I just want to read you his, his text. Hey, Ryan, thanks, man. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Good in the hood. The motivation has always been to go and engage Listen and pray with those that are struggling in the deepest ways imaginable. We've seen God touch hundreds of lives out on the streets. What we see on the streets is mental illness, trafficking and drug abuse running rampant without hardly any accountability or ramifications from our city. And we are just a tiny, under-resourced group of friends, skaters, ex-addicts, cons that believe God still does his finest work through our brokenness to help save others. Blessings in Jesus, bro. Let's hang soon. Tim's incredible. And I, you know, this week, I, I wanted to go. I, I was going to text him and say, I, just, I need to go. I want to see. I want to be with you. If you want to learn more, support Tim, you can just Google Tim Byrne, good in the hood, and look up information about him. He's an incredible man of God that uh, is inspiring. The other one I, I want to share uh, is a, a gentleman named Brian Fowler, who has come and has preached here before. He has been a part of the long family of a Jesus church. He went initially and helped plant the church Emmaus in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, moved back with his family, uh, has been a pastor and preacher for, for decades. 
And in the last uh, couple years, he made a radical change in career. He's currently the, the men's director for the Portland Rescue Mission. And I, I had to text him, and I had to say, man, what, can you just, uh, I, I would love to catch up. Uh, I'd love to, to hear what you're up to and what's going on. But I, I'm, I'm teaching about the mission of Jesus to the poor. And will you just help me understand, you, you made a radical move. Uh, tell me, tell me just more about that. And here's his words. Hey, Ryan, I, I hope you are well, man. Great to hear from you. Uh, Justice really enjoyed camp. His son uh, joined us at youth camp this summer. Uh, he says, you're, he really enjoyed camp and your friendliness and leadership. And, and he says this, my sense of calling to the Portland Rescue Mission was both an answer to the question of who did Jesus go to and to whom is the church called to go to? Matthew 25, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned. And in serving them, we serve Jesus. I preached that for 25 years as a pastor, and here was an opportunity to live this out. And it has been a beautifully challenging experience to be in proximity and relationship to the suffering of men and women in our very own city. In short, the door opened, and I agreed to follow Jesus through that door. <laughs> wow. And so this morning, what is your response the door is open Will you follow Jesus through it. What does it look like? It looks different for all of us. This isn't to put something guilty and shameful on you that you're not doing enough. It's to invite you into the blessing that it is to see the lost respond. They are hungry. I believe the, the mental health crisis in our day we will see radical healing like that in the book of Acts if we would get out there by the power of the Spirit and proclaim the authority of Jesus, heal these people. But we, we need to use caution, it's dangerous. So you determine yourself. You ask God, where are you opening doors for me? We have an individual responsibility as followers of Jesus, and we have a responsibility as a community of Jesus followers in our city. Our community, you know, I was thinking about this, our responsibility, 26 West Church, isn't to change the church of the world, the Christian church to do this, but we have a responsibility. What will we do as a church community? What will this body of believers do? We partner with Refugee Care Collective. I took the youth there in the summer and we served them. We got to, to pack boxes and work together. What could it look like in this coming year? I love the idea of mentorship, of being with them. You know what it's like? It's, can you, actually, you don't know what it's like. Can you imagine? You've lost everything. You've been torn away from your home. You must leave, and you, boom, you plopped it on a, into an airport with nothing but a garbage bag. You don't even speak the language. Man, they may need you more than actual stuff. They need the stuff, so give the stuff. But they need people. Jesus didn't just give them whatever they need. He came to them. He sat with them. He spent time with them. Or, or Project Homeless Connect. Uh, this is another one. This woman is incredible. Uh, Kim, she'll be here next Sunday, I believe. Over 17 years ago, she answered this call to serve the homeless community in the city of Hillsborough in Washington County. There is a facility 
that is just a few miles down the road. Do you know that this facility has showers and, and washers and dryers because the people want to be clean? They, they don't want to stink. And you can go and sit and have a cup of coffee and share Jesus with them, their greatest need. Of course, give, they need socks and they need clothing and they need warmth when it's cold. They need to give them a rain jacket. It is pouring out there, but go sit with them if you can. It is a safe place. There is staff there. I need to go and do this. We need to show up as a community. We will always have the poor among us. Do not think that we're solving this problem, that if we will wipe it off the face of the earth. The scriptures tell us we will always have the poor among us. God has been on a mission to the poor since the beginning. Jesus was sent to bring good news to the poor. Do we recognize this Jesus? And how will we join it? I'd like to just close with just reading a passage over, over you. So you can, you can close your eyes with me. Uh, this is a, a really powerful passage that I think, again, just captures the heart of God so well. It comes from Isaiah 58, and it, it's, I'm gonna skip to part, but I wanna give you some context. God, literally through the prophet Isaiah, is is being critical of the Israelite people. He's being critical of, of a very important practice that in, in God's eyes is being abused, fasting. <laughs> He's saying that the way that they are fasting, it, it just is, is for show. It's just scraping the surface of what that looks like. And I want you to listen, eyes closed, Listen to the powerful words of the prophet Isaiah of, of what God pictures a sacrifice like fasting to look like. Yet on the day of your fasting, it is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of the oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then then will your light rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. May we be that kind of people 